welcome today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Revelation. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com, and if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. We're going to go on into our study now, picking it up in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11, and we hope and pray it'll be a blessing to you. Nineteenth chapter of the book of Revelation tonight. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Revelation chapter 19, move down if you will to verse 11. That's where we're going to pick it up at. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse... And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Now, I want to look at that phrase there, I saw heaven opened. The first time that this phrase is used in the book of Revelation is in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. John said, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show you the things which must be hereafter. The book of Revelation is broken up into three parts. The first part, the Lord told John there in Revelation chapter 1, he said, I want you to write the things which you have seen. And that pertains to the vision that John had there in the first chapter of the book of Revelation. The second part, he said, I want you to write the things which are. And that concerns the churches. Revelations chapters 2 and 3. And then the next part here is what we're seeing here, the things which shall be hereafter. Hereafter what? Hereafter the rapture of the church. This verse, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, is where we believe the rapture of the church will take place. Heaven opens up for the first time to receive Every saint of God that has ever lived, we're going to receive a glorified body when the trump sounds. Corruption's going to put on incorruption. Mortality's going to put on immortality. Everyone who has ever died in the Lord, when they died, their soul and spirit went to be with the Lord in heaven, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And that body is buried in the ground. But there's coming a day when the trump of God will sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, 
And then you and I, which are alive and remain, will be caught up. We'll be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. We'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And that change will take place instantly, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, very quick. We'll be called up to meet the Lord in the air, and heaven opens up for the first time to receive all the saints of God with a glorified body at that time. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Now, the next time, this time that we see here in uh, Revelation 19, verse 11, John said, I saw heaven open. This time, the saints of God will be following Christ back to earth. So the first time the door opened, we're going to heaven. The second time we see the door open, we're going to be leaving heaven, coming back, following Christ. And we're going to be following him on white horses. If you look there, Revelation 19, verse 14. Revelation 19, verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And uh, for those of you who maybe were not with us last week, we took a look at that uh, garment that we'll be wearing. It's not a garment as you would normally think of such, but it's going to be uh, the glorified body, the state that the glorified body is in. When God originally created man, he created man in his own image, in his own likeness. And God is light, and in him is no darkness. So the thought is, when God originally created man, uh, man was covered in an array of light. And when man partook of that tree and, and uh, sinned against God, he lost that light. And they noticed their nakedness. And they took fig leaves and covered themselves. And when the rapture takes place, the Bible says that when we see him, we shall be like him. And uh, we're going to shine like the sun when that day comes. And that's going to be our, our linen, our garments. And they're going to be uh, white and clean. And we're all going to be riding on those white horses, as we see there in verse 14. And uh, we're going to be following him who is called faithful and true. <clears throat> now, the Lord is also going to be riding on a white horse. If you'll go back up there to verse 11, Revelation 19, verse 11. Jesus is riding a white horse there. In ancient times, dignitaries would ride on a donkey if they had a message of peace. But if they had a message of war, then they rode a horse. Now, when Jesus came the first time, the angels came announcing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And when that announcement was made the night that Christ was born, for the next 33 and a half years, there was no war anywhere within the confines of the Roman Empire. No war during that period of time because Christ was here. A few days before Jesus was crucified, he rode into Jerusalem. And what did he ride on? He rode on a donkey. He was bringing a message of peace. Do you realize 
that when Christ came the first time, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist preached that message. Jesus preached that message. And had Israel accepted Christ as the Messiah, Rome would have crucified Christ. He would have raised from the dead. The millennium could have started right then. But they rejected Jesus as being the Messiah. And they crucified him. And that message of peace being rejected, it has subjected the whole world to war since that time now for the past 2,000 years. We've been in war. But when the Lord comes back the second time, the first time he came with a message of peace and riding on a donkey, but the second time he comes, he comes riding on a horse. And he's going to have on his mind war. And his war is going to end all wars. If you will, go to Zechariah 14, verse 3. Zechariah 14, verse 3. Zechariah said, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. That's what's going to happen at this particular time. Now, his eyes is as a flame of fire. If you'll look there in verse 12 of Revelation 19 in verse 12. His eyes was as a flame of fire. Now, fire speaks of judgment. And his eyes see everything right into the very soul of the human being so that there's nothing hidden from him at all. All that is not righteousness and holiness is going to be done away with. It's going to be judged. And also there, the second part of verse 12, Revelation 19, verse 12, the second part of that verse says, And on his head were many crowns. There are two types of crowns mentioned in the New Testament. One is the victor's crown, and the other one is a crown of royalty. Um, if you will, turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27, move down, if you will, to verse 29. Matthew 27, verse 29, And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took a reed and smote him on the head. After that they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to be crucified. Um, there in verse 29 we have the word crown. And the Greek word for crown there is stephanos. It means a victor's crown. Now the soldiers 
did not know what they were doing when they did this, but they were actually announcing that Jesus was going to be victorious over sin before he even went to the cross. Now, I want you to think about that. Those soldiers beating Jesus up, putting that crown of thorns on his head and a reed in his... They were mocking him. But in actuality, they were announcing to the spirit world of darkness that Jesus is victorious over sin, and this was before Jesus even went to the cross. Now, here in Revelation 19 and verse 12, we have the word crowns mentioned again. The Greek word here for crown is diadems. How many of you have heard that word? Diadems. That's the crown of royalty. And uh, John sees these crowns upon the Lord's head before the second coming. And this is simply announcing to the world it's a done deal. Before the battle of Armageddon, before he even comes to the battle of Armageddon, this battle's going to be won by him. It's already a done deal. All right. The third part of Revelation 19, verse 12, the latter part of that verse says, And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Now, John saw the name. He just didn't quite fully understand what it meant. In other words, you'll never exhaust Christ. You'll never come to a full knowledge of the Lord. A million years from now, we'll still be learning about the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now, we could probably fill up the world with what we know as far as Christ is concerned. If books were written, we'd fill the world up. But God can sum it all up in one name. Think about that. God can sum it all up in one name, which no man knew. So with that one verse, we'll be learning about Christ and what he did on our behalf for eternity. You'll never fully grasp it and understand it all. So if any preacher or anybody tells you, well, I know all about that, they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> all right, let's look at verse 13. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. Now, some say the vesture dipped in blood typifies what he will do at the Battle of Armageddon. But his vesture is covered in blood before the battle even begins. So what does this mean? His vesture dipped in blood speaks of the cross, where he shed his life's blood for the sins of the world. And because of his blood that was shed for the sins of the world, that gives him the right to judge the world 
who will not believe him. This world having rejected Christ, Christ has every right to judge this world. If you will, go to Revelation chapter 5. This ties in with something we looked at there some time ago, Revelation chapter 5. And in this chapter, John saw a book in the right hand of God the Father. And an angel makes a proclamation, who is worthy to take the book and to open the seven seals thereof? And no man in earth, in heaven or under the earth, no man was found worthy to open and to loose those seals. And John wept. But then someone came to John and said, Weep not. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. Now, the banner for the tribe of Judah was a lion standing on its back feet with its forelegs extended in a fighting position. And that was the banner for the tribe of Judah. And Christ came from the tribe of Judah. When Jesus came the first time and he died on the cross, he conquered the spirit world of darkness he paid the sin debt that mankind owed to God. He paid it. Paid it in full. And because of that, like I said, he has the right to judge this world. And this world has rejected Christ days without number. And when he comes back at the Battle of Armageddon, he's going to fight physically. So when he came the first time, it was a spiritual conquering. The second time he comes, it's going to be a physical conquering. If you will, go to Isaiah chapter 63. I want to show you where this is derived from. The vesture dipped in blood. So hold your place there in Revelation 19 verse 13. We're going to flip back to it. But Isaiah chapter 63, uh, verse 1. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury. And their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. That speaks of the battle of Armageddon. And this goes right along with another prophecy in Isaiah. If you will flip back a chapter or two to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah 61. This is the passage that Jesus read out of when he went back to his hometown of Nazareth. 
He went in the synagogue and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he turned to this particular passage here, Isaiah 61, verse 1. He said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus stopped reading at that point. Because that is all of this particular scripture that Jesus came to fulfill at that time. But it goes on to say, And the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all that mourn. That's the latter part of verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 61. The day of vengeance of our God is going to be fulfilled at the second coming at the battle of Armageddon. All right, go back, if you will, to Revelation 19, verse 13 again. Revelation 19, verse 13. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. This verse combines the two things, his vesture dipped in blood and the Word of God. That tells us what the story of the Bible is right there. If you want to know what the Bible is all about, it's his vesture dipped in blood. John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. In verse 14 of John chapter 1, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the incarnation. That's God becoming man. And he became man so that he could do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And, of course, as you know, he paid the price at Calvary for our salvation. All right. Verse 15, Revelation 19, verse 15. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. The weapon that the Lord will use at the battle of Armageddon is the word that comes out of his mouth. He'll speak the word, and whatever he says is going to happen. Um, in Ezekiel thirty-eight twenty-two, he will speak a word for great hailstones to come out of the heavens and to smite the Antichrist. That's Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 22. And the Bible says there, Ezekiel thirty-eight twenty-two, And I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood, and will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him and overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. And if you'll go to Ezekiel 39, verse 2, you'll see where 
five out of every six soldiers of the Antichrist army will be killed. Ezekiel 39 verse 2. And I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee. Move down, if you will, to verse 12. In seven months shall the house of Israel be burying of them, that they may cleanse the land. So at the battle of Armageddon, the Lord will come back riding a white horse. The weapon he will use is the word that comes out of his mouth. Whatever he speaks will happen. And he'll use the elements. Just as the disciples were in the ship and the storm came down upon the sea. And on one occasion, the Lord was in the ship with them. Another occasion, this happened, he came walking on the sea. In both occasions, he got up in the boat and said, peace be still. And the water became calm. He spoke to that storm and he was able to calm the storm. And that's what he did the first time he came. The second time he comes, it's going to be the other way around. He's going to cause the elements to come down at the Battle of Armageddon and destroy the armies of the Antichrist. All right, Revelation 19, verse 15. Revelation 19, verse 15. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. The Greek word for rule means to shepherdize. Just as a shepherd uses a rod for correction, Christ will too. But his rod will be one of iron. And that speaks of severity. When Christ comes back, there are going to be those in this world who did not side with the Antichrist. They did not take his mark. At the same time, they did not accept Christ as their Savior. They still have a sin nature. We're going to read a little later on where the devil is bound up. And he'll be locked away for a thousand years. And there are going to be natural people in this world who will marry. They will have children. They will have a sin nature. And they will be given the gospel and given the opportunity to accept Christ. There are going to be those, believe it or not, you know, and it's going to be the greatest time the world has ever known as far as peace and prosperity is concerned. But there are going to be those during that time who are going to rebel against Christ. And he's going to use that rod of iron to put them in their place. I mean, he's not going to be ugly or anything, but they're going to be made to do what you're supposed to do. He's not going to allow anything that kills, steals, and destroys to be in his kingdom. He's just not going to put up with it. And that's what the rod of iron is speaking of there. So anyone who tries to go off in any other direction than the direction the Lord gives, they're going to feel the other end of that stick. All right. 
And he treadeth the winepress. There we have that word again, the winepress. Similar to the wine fat that Isaiah was speaking about, we just read. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. Back in the biblical times, um, they would make a box out of wood or whatever they could find. They would put all the grapes inside that box, and they would get in there with their bare feet and step on the grapes. And they would mash the juice out of the grapes as they stepped on it. And you can imagine when you step on a grape, everything comes out of it. It just, I mean, and it just goes everywhere. He treadeth the winepress alone, Isaiah said. Just as if you'll picture someone standing in a, a wooden box and stepping on those grapes, that is Christ at the Battle of Armageddon, stepping on the armies of the Antichrist. And as he steps on them, the blood will flow to the horse's bridles up to six foot deep, up to 180 to 200 miles. Now, you, you, you think about that. So the wine press here speaks about the horrible bloodletting that will take place at the Battle of Armageddon. All right, verse 16, Revelation 19 and verse 16. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This world, most of this world at that time, will be following the Antichrist. He will have deceived much of the world at that time into thinking that he is God. Most of the world at that time, or at least those in his kingdom, will be worshiping him as God. But when Christ comes back at the Battle of Armageddon, he's going to be wearing this name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And there's going to be no doubt as to who he is. And when he comes back, he's going to show them who's boss. And he's going to deal with the Antichrist and all of those armies that are coming against Israel at that time. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.